I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Presto changeo, rearrangeo, into something very strangeo. It's high noon for Friday, October 1st, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 254th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You are so concerned with keeping everyone safe from the no-no words that you not only justify censorship, you take what used to be the domain of Nazis and fascists and dystopian villains and you make it an important and necessary tool of a safe society so that you can then justify protecting the censorship regime. What am I talking about? Here it is. All of a sudden, an organization called the National School Board Association has determined that parents going to the school board meetings at the schools their children attend and then speaking up for their preferences for their own children's treatment is now Domestic terrorism. And how did it become domestic terrorism? Why is it important to call it domestic terrorism? Well, if you don't classify it as domestic terrorism, parents might continue to go to these school board meetings and they might continue to film other parents giving impassioned speeches about how the school is clearly abusing their own children and more people might continue to know about these problems in these school boards. Like, for instance, the fact that school board members are paid off to implement mask and social distancing policies, among other things. Let's go to Newsweek. This is from yesterday in the afternoon. School board group compares threats over COVID protocols to terrorism in letter to Biden by Anna Carlson. The National School Boards Association on Thursday asked the federal government to help stop school board threats, calling them a form of domestic terrorism due to disputes over COVID-19 policies in a letter to President Joe Biden, the Associated Press reported. 
Parents and community members have been threatening board members in person, online, and through the mail in a trend that merits attention from federal law enforcement agencies, the NSBA said in the letter. The letter cites more than 20 instances of threats, harassment, disruption, and acts of intimidation in California, Florida, Georgia, New Jersey, Ohio, and other states. The letter documents a September arrest of an Illinois man for alleged aggravated battery and disorderly conduct for allegedly striking a school official at a meeting. And it also mentions a man in Michigan who allegedly performed a Nazi salute to protest masking. And I guess that we are supposed to assume that he must have been pro-Nazi. That must have been what he was doing to protest masking. He was probably giving his pro-Nazi stance against masking. That must be what it is. Or else, maybe he was calling the school board members Nazis. Now you get the idea. So let's actually check out this letter because a lot of what's out there is coverage of the situation and of the letter, but not much of the actual letter. Here we go. Dear Mr. President, well, already addressing him the wrong way. They should say to the fake president, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat. The National School Boards Association respectfully asks for federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. Local school board members want to hear from their communities on important issues, and that must be at the forefront of good school board governance and promotion of free speech. Well, that is one terrible sentence for people involved with schooling. However, there also must be safeguards in place to protect public schools and dedicated education leaders as they do their jobs. What in the world are they talking about? Where has there ever been a threat to a public school? <laughs> like just the parents are outside with like sticks and rusty swords attacking the brick walls of the building. What is happening here? They just make up anything. They are always, always every leftist group everywhere, all the time, anytime anyone pushes back against them at all. They claim that they are under direct threat of violence. It is always the same. And then they always will uh, form their sentences like this, right? It's, as it says above, threats of violence and acts of intimidation, okay? One of them is actually something, a threat of real violence. A real threat of real violence is something that might be worth calling law enforcement over. Acts of intimidation is one of those meaningless subjective terms that they will use to encapsulate whatever upsets them. And so then as long as they put that right after violence, oh, well, they're all the same. A th an actual legitimate threat of physical violence is the same as a parent coming and saying, your days on this school board are numbered, right? Like if they said... We're going to vote all of you out. Your days are numbered. All these leftist groups do is just take the second half of that where the parents said your days are numbered and they're like, oh, this is a threat of physical violence. These people are insane. 
NSBA believes immediate assistance is required to protect our students, school board members, and educators who are susceptible to acts of violence affecting interstate commerce because of threats to their districts, families, and personal safety. Got that? Interstate commerce. School board members, members of school boards are susceptible to acts of violence affecting interstate commerce. You understand that? What they're doing with that sentence is providing a framework for why this would be a federal issue. Okay. Not a state issue because obviously this is a state issue. They don't need the federal government involved in parents showing up at their school board meetings and demanding that their children are not abused. This is how they make it a federal issue. As our school boards continue coronavirus recovery operations within their respective districts, they are also persevering against other challenges that could impede this progress in a number of communities. Coupled with attacks against school board members and educators for approving policies for masks and to protect the health and safety of students and school employees, many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. Okay. Again, they are pretending critical race theory is not part of what they do in the schools. Okay. This is one of those things that they keep like off the records. They call it other things. They're pretending that critical race theory isn't part of the curriculum. It obviously is. So is all their maniacal gender theory nonsense. And again, where is the actual physical threat of violence? They're going to go through it later in the letter, but we are just supposed to assume that they actually have these things and that they are real and not just something that they are intentionally misinterpreting for the sake of making their point. And again, this letter is supposed to be protecting school board members, not teachers, not kids, not even school administrators. School board members, school board members, the people who are supposed to be elected by the community to be the representatives of the community's interests in those public schools. And instead, what we can see with these national groups, these obviously leftist national groups, is that there is an overall strategy to elect George Soros communists into the school boards so that they will take money to implement mask mandates and other George Soros global communist policies. And no, it's not scary. It's not a conspiracy theory. I'm not going overboard. This is literally exactly what it is. On behalf of our state associations and the more than 90,000 school board members who govern our country's 14,000 local public school districts, educating more than 50 million school children, NSBA appreciates your leadership to end the proliferation of COVID-19 in our communities and our school districts. We also appreciate recent discussions with White House and U.S. Department of Education staff on many critical issues facing public schools, including threats school officials are receiving. Okay, so now it's school officials. Got it. Okay. 
In addition, we applaud your actions to restore resources to school districts that have not yet received their education stabilization through funding through the Project Safe Supporting America's Families and Educators grant program for coronavirus recovery efforts, including the use of face masks and other precautions to help prevent COVID-19 infections among students and educators. Got that? Education stabilization funding for various coronavirus recovery efforts. Okay? This is from the federal government in the coronavirus, the COVID relief bills. There's all sorts of money that gets paid to these people to put the policies in place. I actually can't believe they are so upfront in admitting this. They're thanking Joe Biden, the fake president, for all of the money that he's giving them to do this stuff. That's what that sentence means. Now we ask that the federal government investigate, intercept, and prevent the current threats and acts of violence against our public school officials through existing statutes, executive authority, interagency and intergovernmental task forces, and other extraordinary measures to ensure the safety of our children and educators to protect interstate commerce and to preserve public school infrastructure and campuses. They are inventing threats right here. Protect interstate commerce by making sure that school board members aren't held accountable for implementing George Soros's brand of global communism where it's not wanted. Okay. While local and state law enforcement agencies are working with public school officials in several communities to prevent further disruptions to educational services and school district operations, law enforcement officials in some jurisdictions need assistance, including help with monitoring the threat levels. Oh, you want to just steal people's communications? Is that what we're going for? Is that what the point of this domestic terrorism label now being used on parents attending their school board meetings? Is that what that label is being used for? Seems like it is. As these threats and acts of violence have become more prevalent during public school board meetings via documented threats transmitted through the U.S. Postal Service, got that? Transmitting threats through the U.S. Postal Service also makes this a federal issue. This is what they are lining up. They are giving the federal government the dictatorial, illegitimate administration, a framework for how they can use the apparatus of federal law enforcement to silence parents who are trying to look out for their children. But back to the letter. Through social media and other online platforms, okay? They're not allowed to do that anymore. And around personal properties, NSBA respectfully asks that a joint collaboration among federal law enforcement agencies, state and local law enforcement, and with public school officials be undertaken to focus on these threats. NSBA specifically solicits the expertise and resources of the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Secret Service and its National Threat Assessment Center regarding the level of risk to public school children, educators, board members, and facilities and campuses. 
We also request the assistance of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to intervene against threatening letters and cyberbullying attacks that have been transmitted to students, school board members, district administrators, and other educators. Okay, so the Postal Service basically has its own intelligence agency, and now apparently they are interested in cyberbullying attacks against adults. Adults are running to the federal government because they have to deal with cyberbullying, which they define as anything that bothers them online. As these acts of malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, the classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. As such, NSBA requests a joint expedited review by the U.S. Departments of Justice, Education, and Homeland Security, along with the appropriate training, coordination, investigations, and enforcement mechanisms from the FBI, including any technical assistance necessary from and state and local coordination with its National Security Branch and Counterterrorism Division, as well as any other federal agency with relevant jurisdictional authority and oversight. That is utter madness. Additionally, NSBA requests that such review examine appropriate enforceable actions against these crimes and acts of violence under the Gun-Free School Zones Act, the Patriot Act in regards to domestic terrorism, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, the Violent Interference with Federally Protected Rights Statute, the Conspiracy Against Rights Statute, an executive order to enforce all applicable federal laws for the protection of students and public school district personnel and any related measure. As the threats grow and news of extremist hate organizations showing up at school board meetings is being reported, this is a critical time for a proactive approach to deal with this difficult issue. These threats are actual acts of violence against our school districts are impacting the delivery of educational services to students and families. As many districts receive federal funds and subsidies for services to millions of students with disabilities, health screenings, and supplemental supports for disadvantaged students, child nutrition, broadband connectivity, educator development, school safety activities, career and technical education, and more. School board meetings have been disrupted in California, Florida, Georgia, and other states because of local directives for mask coverings to protect students and educators from COVID-19. Okay. Again, masks don't do anything. Masks don't do anything. And everybody knows that masks don't do anything. Okay. No one is still confused about this. The people who are using masks and claiming that masks work also know that masks do not work. All right. They are being paid for their policies. That is the point because school boards are as infested with communists as every other part of our society. Are you not allowed to say infested? Ooh, such a dangerous word. An individual was arrested in Illinois for aggravated battery and disorderly conduct during a school board meeting. Okay. Arrested for. That does not mean that it actually happened. It just means that's what the person was arrested for. And what we have here are a bunch of whiny babies who will call the police for any possible reason. During two separate school board meetings in Michigan, an individual yelled 
a Nazi salute in protest to masking requirements. And I don't know what yelling a Nazi salute is. Maybe they were saying Heil Hitler to the school board members because the school board members were acting like Nazis. And another individual prompted the board to call a recess because of opposition to critical race theory. How is that a violent act or a violent threat or even out of line? Okay. What in the world are they talking about? An individual prompted the board to call a recess because of opposition to critical race theory. Now, this is something that needs to be investigated by the FBI. What kind of dystopian nonsense is this? Honestly. In New Jersey, Ohio, and other states, anti-mask proponents are inciting chaos during board meetings. That needs to be investigated by the FBI. Inciting chaos. Chaos being another subjective term that these communists will use to say, oh, there's in danger. Everything is very bad. They're very scared. These people have incited chaos. They're not following the school board's meeting rules. This is crazy. It's actually crazy. You know, this is why I read the source material and why I share the source material with you. Okay. I don't want to just cut out little highlights and give them to you because you got to understand what this is in its fullness and reading articles like that Newsweek article that doesn't give you the real understanding of how utterly insane this stuff is in Virginia. An individual was arrested. Another man was ticketed for trespassing and a third person was hurt during a school board meeting discussion, distinguishing current curricula from critical race theory and regarding equity issues. That doesn't make sense. And in no part of that, did they describe a criminal act or a threat or something that needs the FBI's involvement or the Department of Homeland Security? This is This is beyond dystopian. They are asking the full apparatus of the federal government to monitor and investigate parents who are trying to stick up for their kids. In other states, including Washington, Texas, Wisconsin, Wyoming, and Tennessee, school boards have been confronted by angry mobs and forced to end meetings abruptly. No, they chose to end meetings abruptly because they did not want parents to continue saying the no-no words. They were trying to protect themselves from having to hear the no-no words. A resident in Alabama who proclaimed himself as, quote, vaccine police, has called school administrators while filming himself on Facebook Live. Oh, no. Oh, no. Imagine being scared by that. That is the kind of people we are dealing with. And it should be noted, those are the kinds of people determining how American children should be educated and what they should learn. Other groups are posting watch lists against school boards and spreading misinformation that boards are adopting critical race theory curriculum and working to maintain online learning by haphazardly attributing it to COVID-19. Sounds very illegal. In Ohio, an individual mailed a letter to a school board member labeling the return address on the envelope from a local neighborhood association and then enclosing threatening hate mail from another entity. 
that must be how they're abusing the postal service. That has to be what they're setting up here. This is, I mean, insane. This correspondent states that, quote, we are coming after you and all the members on the Board of Education. This hate mail continues by stating, quote, you are forcing them to wear masks for no reason in this world other than control. And for that, you will pay dearly, end quote. Among other incendiaries, this same threat also calls the school board member a, quote, filthy traitor, end quote, implies loss of pension funds and labels the school board as Marxist. Again, all of this we are supposed to believe is illegal. This is just free speech. If there is a threat in there, they should show it to us. They are pretending to show us these threats. And you have to assume that these must be the best examples of the threats, right? Like, why would they use the fifth best example if they are trying to make this as dangerous sounding as possible? These are their examples of what they want labeled domestic terrorism. Okay, this is domestic terrorism now. Earlier this month, a student in Tennessee was mocked during a board meeting for advocating masks in schools after testifying that his grandmother, who was an educator, died because of COVID-19. And so mocked, again, a subjective term. Who knows what the actual experience was? Masks don't work. Okay? You having someone you know die with COVID does not change the fact of whether or not masks work. They don't work. Okay. I'm sorry. This person's relative died. If they died with COVID, they probably died from the medical care they were receiving. This person should go get mad at the hospital that almost definitely gave his or her grandmother, who was an educator, remdesivir, and then put her on a ventilator. Thus, killed by the hospital. These threats and acts of violence are affecting our nation's democracy at the very foundational levels, causing school board members, many who are not paid, to resign immediately and or discontinue their service after their respective terms. Excellent. Okay, letter. Now you're getting it. They're resigning or leaving after their term goes up. That's perfect. That's exactly what we want. Sounds like all of this is working spectacularly. Unless you are the communist who wrote this letter. The communists who wrote this letter have spent a lot of time and a lot of resources getting these school boards around the nation to be filled with communists. And they do that through stealing elections. Isn't it incredible? All you have to do is steal elections and then you can infest every organization in the entire country with communists who are more than happy to do the bidding of global communists because they get some small reward. They get a little money. Someone decides not to tell their secrets in public. That's basically what we're dealing with. A bunch of little weaklings who cannot deal with the mistakes they've made as people. So they are easily exploitable. They want a little money. So they're easily exploitable. 
You do that enough times with enough resources on the back end, and you can slowly infiltrate and take over an entire country, even the United States of America. And that's exactly what we see happening. Further, this increasing violence, by the way, we have heard no violence so far. There was a man who was arrested for aggravated battery. And since they, of course, have footnoted their proof of these very violent acts, you just look up the article, the man who committed this aggravated battery. His name is Alex Feldy Feld, 30 years old, skinny guy, very non-threatening looking, literally smiling in the pictures that look like apparently uh, mug shots here. Here's what it says. Sheriff Rich Wagner reported Thursday that Alex Feldy had 30 had been removed from the school board meeting and had been involved in some type of physical altercation at the school. Sheriff Wagner stated school officials attempted to escort Feldy out of the meeting when he struck one of them before leaving the school. Okay, so is that an aggravated battery? Well, I guess we'll find out. It sounds like someone tried to put their hands on this man to remove him from the meeting because he was probably being quote unquote disruptive, AKA they didn't like what he was saying. And so him with whatever he did while being escorted out, that is aggravated battery. That is domestic terrorism. Okay. An isolated incident that barely qualifies as violence and probably does not qualify as a crime, I would almost bet that he will not be convicted of a crime for this because it's absurd. But we are supposed to believe that that is representative of a nationwide pattern that requires federal government intervention. Further, this increase in violence is a clear and present danger to civic participation in which other citizens who have been contemplating service as either an elected or appointed school board member have reconsidered their decision. And again, that is another hint on the problem that these communists are having. Okay. Some of the candidates that they want serving as public communists on school boards are starting to think, ah, no, maybe that's not worth it. They're videotaping me now. (laughs) And that's what it really is. That's what they hate. They hate when their business is publicized. They have been able to do all of this stuff behind the scenes for so long. Like what kind of normal parent is focused on whether or not their school board is being infiltrated by communists? That is not something that most parents were worried about a few years ago. Now it's something that every parent has to worry about, except for communist parents, because they're happy with it. But communists don't win elections because Americans don't like communists. Okay. Again, we are a vast, vast majority. These people serve illegitimately. NSBA believes public discussions and transparency by local school board members are important for the safe and effective operations of schools. It is vital that public discourses be encouraged in a safe and open environment in which varying viewpoints can be offered in a peaceful manner and I guess we must add, so long as those varying viewpoints are all the exact same viewpoint. Unbelievable that they even pretend to care about alternate viewpoints. Our children are watching the examples of the current debates, and we must encourage a positive dialogue, even with different opinions. However, 
such acute threats and actions that are disruptive to our students' well-being. No, we're talking about school board meetings. That's not the classroom. To the safety of public school officials and personnel and to interstate commerce, once again, we urge the federal government's intervention against individuals or hate groups who are targeting our schools and educators. What hate groups are targeting schools and educators? And of course, they must mean, right, Trump supporters or QAnoners, which is what they call everybody who disagrees with them now. You express vaccine hesitancy, you're a QAnoner. And here's the, uh, the last paragraph of this five-page letter of utter nonsense. NSBA is committed to working with you and your administration as a partner to address this crisis affecting America's public schools and greatly appreciates your prompt attention to our requests. We stand ready to work with you. Viola M. Garcia, president, and Chip Slavin, Esquire, interim executive director and CEO, the National School Board Association. For the life of me, I cannot understand why we need a National School Board Association, okay? So when I was in junior high and high school, my father was president of the school board at the public school I attended. And I think that they just kind of got together, talked about what they wanted to do, and then implemented those plans. They had meetings, they listened to the parents, and they went along their way. Why is there a national school board association directing school boards how to operate, giving them suggestions on what they should be doing. Why do school boards have some higher authority that is directing them on what to do? That is entirely unnecessary. There is nothing in common between the small town public school I attended and a public school in the middle of a metropolis like Los Angeles or New York City. The issues are not the same at all. So what we have now is rather than a school board that's looking out for the best interests of its district's children to be an organization that is looking out for itself in the advancement of the global communist agenda. That is legitimately what is happening here. Okay. The school board now serves the needs of global communism rather than the needs of the kids. Okay. Some of them feel okay doing that because they convince themselves that the needs of the children are best served by global communism. So anything that advances global communism ultimately advances the needs of the children. That is child brain commie logic. And everyone can see that. Obviously, what could be more obvious? In fact, this is something that is happening in all sorts of organizations, and I'm going to point out a few more. But before I do that, I want to say, if you are the sort of communist who is waking up to all of this stuff and thinking, wow, I suppose I've been very sympathetic toward all this communism. Perhaps I am a communist sympathizer, which would make me a communist. And I never thought about it that way before, but I really don't think being a communist sounds like my path forward. 
if that's you, then perhaps it's time to leave all of those stupid and evil communist ideas behind. Just leave them in the past. Let them go. They're all wrong. It actually will not even be any work to let all those ideas go. As soon as you realize, for instance, that Black Lives Matter and critical race theory aren't actually there to advance justice or equality or the lives of Americans who represent ethnic minorities, then you can just let it all go, right? The whole reason you are attached to it is because you think it's doing good. Simply realize it's not doing good. Yes, it seems like it in your child brain, but as soon as you examine it with an adult brain, the whole purpose of supporting it goes away. You're like, oh, wait, this is just harming people? Okay, well, I'm not the kind of person that wants to harm people. That's why I've been supporting these causes all along. I thought they were helping people. Turns out they're not. Okay, great. Gonna let it go. If you have realized that, then all you have to do is migrate back to America, where we will receive you with open arms, so long as you have left all those stupid and evil communist ideas behind. And you kind of got to make amends with all the people you've been terrible to, all the people you've bullied, silenced, shamed, tried to get fired. Yeah, you probably owe them all an apology. But once you do that, all good. Come on back. Come on down to the range. You are welcome here. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Friday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies! A much delayed welcome to the show, but I am so glad you're here. So stick around and pull up your big boy or big girl pants and deal with the mild mocking and ridicule you might feel that I am directing your way. I am directing it your way because you've been a commie, okay? Gotta stop doing that, then everything's okay. Now let's see where this pattern in these school boards is repeated. And I hope you're feeling a little exotic because we are about to travel to Australia in our minds. More concerning to me personally is the fact that um, both Pfizer and AstraZeneca would not allow their products to be sold in Australia unless the Australian government gave them the full indemnity that if they killed anyone or maimed them, they wouldn't be responsible, the government would be. So I find that a very disturbing thing that the government didn't take the view and say, well, if you're confident in your product, you should stand behind it. Clive, what would you say right now to the people of Sydney, New South Wales, mm. 1,600 cases, 1,800 cases a day, whatever they're up to at the moment, mm. it's horrible what's going on there. There's people dying in hospital. Yeah, well, we've seen, but hang on, we've seen people die in hospital. Mm. They're not dying of fake disease. They're dying of COVID-19. You're up here today. Mm. It's irresponsible. Well, I don't believe that. You know, but what would you say to those businesses well, that can't open their businesses well, because I would say it's terrible. their premier is telling them that the only way out is a double jab and that's what they've been told. Yeah, I'd say their premier is lying to them. I'd say that she's under an IPAC inquiry, but a particular lobbyist in Sydney controls the Liberal Party in Sydney and has told her that the only way she gets out of that inquiry is if she pushes the double jab and his clients are AstraZeneca and his clients yeah, are Pfizer. That, that's what I'd say. That's what about the business owner? No, uh, he can't hold on. doors until if you let me answer your question, I'll, I'll answer it. You're just answering with my No, that's what I... You, are, you ask me. You about are, people that are trying to open their businesses 
People that live yeah, in well, Bordertown that are told they have to double Well, if you don't want to be to answer the question, you know, I'll answer the question to start with. That's what I'd tell them, and I'd say that what the Premier's telling them is not true and that that policy, should, they shouldn't be locked down, businesses should be open, and the, go and the government's using this as an excuse to destroy them. And that's, they know that. Do you, that, think that's, they, 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 do you think that the Premier of New South Wales wants to destroy business? I do. And, and, why, why would she do that? Because it's her economy. Because, she's, as I tried to explain to you, that she's being directed by a lobbyist in Sydney who's being paid by AstraZeneca and by Pfizer tens of millions of dollars to get these policies through to make sure the vaccine is, is pushed. That's why. You asked the question, I gave you the answer. And that's my personal knowledge. And I'm happy to make a statement here to police or to anyone if they want to know what's going on. But <laughs> well, that's, well that, that's all. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be doing that, but it, it, they'll, they'll be named. But not, not only that. So what do we have here? That is Australian billionaire Clive Palmer saying that the premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian, I think is how you pronounce that name, is uh, getting money from lobbyists for the pharmaceutical companies to implement various parts of the global reset agenda. Nothing could be clearer. Okay. The plans are described in detail. She is carrying out those plans just as everyone else in the world who is signed on to the build back better agenda is doing. It is the build back better agenda. This reporter who is questioning Mr. Palmer seems to be absolutely clueless about anything to do with the realities of the coronavirus, the realities of the narrative, the realities of the vaccine, the realities of why businesses are shut down, and the realities of why politicians would be supporting these policies. He asks, do you really think the premier of New South Wales wants businesses to remain closed? And he's like, yeah, I know for a fact that that's what she wants. He's like, why? Well, because she's being paid off. And the reporter doesn't understand. The reporter is actually trying to argue against what the billionaire knows. The reporter is being told a series of facts, okay? Or at least alleged facts, right? The reporter can investigate and find out whether or not they're true. But the reporter instead makes it his mission to prove that what this man is saying is false even though he is completely clueless about any of the relevant details that Clive Palmer is discussing. All right. And now the premier he's referring to has resigned from her office due to this investigation by the ICAC. She is the subject of a corruption investigation. And she was becoming widely known as one of the strictest enforcers of this nonsense COVID regime in the entire world. All right. She was doing it because she was being paid. The proof of that begins coming out. Now she resigns. I actually think that this financial incentive part of this whole situation is a good focus of our attention in the coming weeks. You know, on some level, it's becoming pointless to argue, for instance, the effectiveness of masks with communists who still believe in masks because you're automatically assuming 
that they are genuine in their belief and that they could be talked out of that belief if you present them with enough evidence that their view is wrong. That's not why they believe these things in the first place, okay? They believe these things in the first place because they are incentivized to believe them. And once they argue for that position enough times, the incentive stops mattering, okay? Because they want to believe that they are good people and that they are taking that money to implement policies that will actually help people. So they have to redefine everything in their own minds to rationalize and justify their behavior. And once they have redefined all of these nonsense, anti-scientific mitigation techniques, mitigation in quotes, as the right thing, the good thing, it becomes part of their identity. And they are now warriors for this COVID cause. Even though all of it is anti-science, all of it is authoritarian, all of it is bad for public health and bad for society and bad for every individual who is subject to their restrictions. All of that goes away because they are the good people. These are the good positions. And so what they are doing when they are taking money is they are being rewarded for helping the world. They're not being paid off to implement global communism. These people are, are crazy. You got to understand that. And this is happening at all levels throughout society. Every place that is enforcing these communist policies is getting paid to do so. Okay. You hear about it with uh, restaurants. I have a friend in New York. She was telling me, yeah, the restaurants that are enforcing these mandates are doing it because their business can't be hurt regardless. They're getting paid off, right? School board members getting paid off. Government officials getting paid off. With modern monetary theory, the money is endless. They'll just use as much of it as they want. They need to keep paying people off. Otherwise, why would they be doing all this stuff? Let's look at another example. In California now, this is the Wall Street Journal. California to require COVID-19 vaccines for all eligible students. Statewide mandate, first of its kind in the U.S., to take effect after the FDA grants full approval for vaccine for people aged 12 and older. That's right. Gavin is going to make it a requirement for your child to be vaccinated if that child is going to go to public school in California. All eligible students in California will, will be required to get vaccinated against COVID-19, Governor Gavin Newsom said Friday, marking the first such mandate in a U.S. state. Important to remember here, Gavin Newsom is entirely illegitimate. Just keep that in mind while you are realizing that he is forcing your children to be part of a medical experiment. The new mandate will take effect once the Food and Drug Administration grants full approval for COVID-19 vaccine for people aged 12 and older. It will begin the next academic term after approval, Mr. Newsom said, which he anticipates could be as soon as January 2022 or July 2022. The mandate will be phased in across grade levels with students in grades 7 through 12 among the first to be required to be vaccinated. Mr. Newsom said waiting for full FDA approval will allow officials to build more trust and confidence with parents and educators before the requirement takes effect. 
COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and partner BioNTech is cleared for use in the U.S. for children as young as 12. The FDA in August granted full approval for use of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine for people aged 16 and older. Oh, wait a second. I thought they approved it for, for uh, community, which is the same thing, but different for legal purposes. Now they're just conflating everything. Isn't it amazing how that works? So I'm going to leave this article aside now, but feel free to finish it yourselves. Isn't it amazing that they understand the FDA's full approval to be a given? All right. It's not going to be based on the science. There's no chance that the FDA is going to turn around and say, no, these vaccines are actually dangerous for people this age. They're still okay for 21 plus, but, you know, 12 and up, that's too much. We're finding out that it causes myocarditis at an unacceptably high rate among male teenagers, for instance, something they've already found. And we're going to scale that back. That's what a responsible public health community would do. I mean, granted, I am assuming that the vaccines are even safe for anyone, which I don't assume. Okay. But I'm saying in a responsible scenario, you could imagine that happening. So planning around the FDA definitely approving something would be crazy. Meanwhile, we have Fauci out there talking about how the booster shot, the third shot would be what you need to have to be considered fully vaccinated in the near term. This is in a future that's not that far out. He is already out here laying the narrative groundwork for it. How do these people know these things are going to happen? It's almost like they have it all on a timeline and they're just going through the motions as they get through the timeline and forcing their will wherever they can. That is actually the point. That is actually what's going on. They are not in any way being guided by the science. Anthony Fauci and the CDC, separate organizations, obviously, I'm saying both are speaking over what the FDA decided just last week. They didn't like the decision, so they're just going to go their own direction. The FDA decided it wasn't okay. The CDC says, now nah, we think it is. Based on what? Well, nothing. It's just our advisement. And our advisement, as soon as we make it, then becomes science. Now, let's hear Kim Jong Newsom actually tell you about all of this himself. And that's why we recognize our responsibility to do more. And that's what we are announcing here today. A statewide requirement for in-person instruction for all of our children to add to a well-established list that currently includes 10 vaccinations and well-established rules and regulations that have been advanced by the legislature for decades to add to that list the vaccination uh, for COVID-19. We intend to do that once the FDA has fully approved the vaccine, which will give us time to work with districts, give us time to work with parents. Isn't it interesting that the justification for mandating this vaccine that has up till now not been used on children that age, Rarely in the world has this vaccine been tried on the age range that he's talking about. They're basically just going on the idea that because there is some sort of antibody generation response from the vaccine doses, 
that the vaccine is good and necessary for people who do not die of COVID and the long-term health consequences are totally ignored. Short-term health consequences are totally ignored. We're just told that this has to happen. And the justification is that other vaccines are already mandated. So you shouldn't worry about this one. That doesn't speak well of the other vaccines, honestly, because we can see what they're doing with this one, which makes us naturally think, wait a second, is this basically the way they have gone about these vaccine mandates for so long? Is this all just a massive push by these pharmaceutical companies to figure out more products they can force the American public to inject into their bodies? And at that point, it really does start seeming like Nazism because that's what it is. But the craziest part of this is that Gavin Newsom himself has changed his position on this. Okay, just a couple of weeks ago in Human Events, Jack Posobiec noted that in 2019, Gavin Newsom made a speech where he was opposed to vaccine mandates. And he was actually thanked on Twitter by RFK Jr. for his position. Newsom said, and this is a quote from the article, I believe in immunizations. However, I do legitimately have concerns about a bureaucrat making a decision that is very personal. So what changed? And while we're considering that, we should wonder where all that money that Gavin spent on masks disappeared to in China. And we should consider how much was spent keeping Gavin Newsom in office in California. And then we should consider what Gavin might have agreed to do for the people who paid to keep him in office. Those are all interesting questions that may shed some light on how Gavin Newsom ended up reversing his position on something that seemed like a principled stand against mandating vaccination on children. Guess he doesn't care anymore. Isn't that incredible? And while we're in California, there has been some information dropped on Instagram by a group of uh Los Angeles firefighters who do not want to comply with the vaccine mandate. Uh, it's a, an account called firefighters for freedom. And it's the number four. This is a breakdown of each department in the city of Los Angeles and their percent compliance with the mandate. Dear city of Los Angeles. Good luck. This is obviously not just a fire department problem. The mayor and city council will plunge the city of Los Angeles into total chaos overnight if they enforce their unconstitutional mandate, okay? And so then they actually have the figures here. There was a survey done that asked people to respond about their vaccination status. Now, included in these statistics are 57,000, 57,500 overall city employees, okay? 23,000 of those city employees did not respond to this at all. So it's not a, a wild stretch to consider that they probably are not vaccinated and do not want to participate in this nonsense. Okay. Out of the 57 and a half thousand, only a little under 28,000 are fully vaccinated. Okay. That's 48% of these Los Angeles city workers are fully vaccinated. 
48% in Los Angeles. Okay. And this is a pretty wide swath of different kinds of jobs. Okay. We're talking about airport workers, animal service, cannabis regulation, Department of Disabilities, cultural affairs, housing, the fire department, the police department, the library. Okay. The office of public works, the parks and recreation employees, transportation employees, DWP, the department of water and power and zoo employees. All right. So that's a pretty wide range of different types of jobs. Some of them are obviously, uh, office jobs, clerical jobs. Some of them are out there in the parks, in the zoo, in the fire department and police department. All right. So there is a wide, wide range of vaccine acceptance rates here. All right. But the fire department is 34%. The police department is 52%. Okay. Then you have things like the mayor's office where it's 91% or like the city planning department, 93%. And that gives you a pretty good idea of what sort of people are probably doing these different jobs in these different departments. But what is Los Angeles going to do if they actually fire all of the people who have not complied with their vaccine mandate in a couple of days. This is supposed to be active as of October 5th. Right now, they have 48% of city employees. Are they honestly going to fire 52% of all the city employees? They're going to fire 48% of police officers. They're going to fire 66% of fire department employees. How is that possible? How can they do that? You got to think this Instagram post is dead on. The city would be plunged into chaos overnight. Eric Garcetti is one of the most feckless and moronic politicians in the country. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually carried that forward and did it. It's going to be really, really interesting to see whether or not they actually go through with this. And if they don't, what are they going to do? extend the deadline? Are they going to pretend that everyone actually got vaccinated? They're going to fire a few people here and there and put out headlines about how everyone who went unvaccinated is fired. What are they going to do? How are they going to cover this up? guess we'll find out next week. And now finally, I want to talk about one more similar issue because uh, I was having a conversation last night with some friends in the entertainment community. Okay. And we were talking about uh, SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Okay. So these are the unions that represent actors. And these unions are trying to impose vaccine mandates on the actors. I guess that there is a uh, SAG election coming up. Both of the candidates for SAG president have said that they are for vaccine mandates for everyone on set. All right. For the last year and a half, there have all already been really strict requirements on set, like makeup artists, for instance, have to wear like two masks, face shield, the whole thing. And now, of course, they're trying to uh, implement vaccine mandates. They ask vaccine status from the actors already. People are missing out on jobs if they don't respond the proper way. There is tension being created on sets. I know this 
just from talking to actor friends. But to get around this and to get around the fact that certain actors do not want to have vaccine mandates, productions have started considering going non-union. Okay. And so what that would do, if I am understanding all this correctly, and I think that I am, I probably will get some details wrong, but I am just beginning to learn about this stuff. I just want to put it on your plate. Okay. But what they're going to do is do something called financial core, right? The actors, the union members can basically continue paying their dues and ask to be released from the union requirements so that they can do non-union jobs, which is a way for actors to work more and not have to go through all the hoops that the union sets up. Now, what the union does to keep these actors fully in the union and not doing FICOR jobs is they will impose penalties for the actors leaving. They don't get the benefits they would otherwise be entitled to. That's how it's made to seem. You're not allowed to vote for the SAG awards and you're not allowed to get the screeners that come of all the movies that are released, right? If you are a prominent SAG member, you basically get every movie that came out for the entire year. Anything that is pushing for award season just shows up at your house and you can watch it on DVD. That's how that works, okay? So you're not able to do those things. These are really superficial, minor penalties that no one would really care about. They're not even really enforced. But the perception of being dropped a few rungs on the status ladder is enough to keep everyone in the union. They are under the assumption that leaving that status, the SAG status and going FICOR is going to somehow screw them in the industry. And it turns out that it just isn't true if you look into it. And so what we have is the union actually working to protect itself against actors exercising their own freedoms, right? The union exists to protect the members from the production companies, right? To ensure that they are safe and well taken care of on set, to ensure that they're not working, you know, 24 hours in a day, that kind of thing. That's what the union is there for, to protect its members. What the union is now doing is lying to its members to protect itself. Turns out you can just go FICOR and work and then still do SAG jobs later. They just don't want anybody to know that, which is crazy. Now, that's not the craziest thing that I learned about last night. And again, I have to do more research into this. And I want this person to actually come on the podcast. I'm not sure if that's going to ever happen. But the person I was discussing this with knows the ins and outs of film production. And it turns out that SAG has this thing for certain, you know, low budget and mid budget movies called SAG bonding. Okay, you have to actually, as a production company, pay for a SAG bond so that SAG ensures the actors in the production will be paid, right? You basically have to give SAG money so that SAG says to the actors, yeah, this production's okay. And they ask for that money 
whatever amount they ask for within days of the production being about to start so that the producers are kind of put under SAG's thumb. They have to call around and get all this extra money that they give to SAG to hold. And as it stands right now, if what I learned was correct, SAG is holding like half a billion dollars. And then what happens if you're not able to raise that few hundred thousand or few million dollars so that you can actually get your production started? SAG doesn't give you the approval if you can't give them the money a few days in advance. Well, then your production is not going to happen. They are leveraging against art. Okay, this benefits big production companies, studio production companies. There are actually people whose job it is to handle these disputes over SAG bonding. There are people that will make loans to production companies so that they can pay their SAG bonds and those loans are made with exorbitant interest rates. This is the union, rather than protecting its members, trying to make a profit and it's destroying film as an art form. Everything gets geared toward big money studio projects. And we know, of course, that those big money studio projects, well, they have to be able to sell the film in China. And if you're going to sell the film in China, well, then the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party gets a say in what kind of film will be made. And does anyone actually have to guess the political persuasion of the Screen Actors Guild? Of course not. Look at what we have. We have a union protecting financial interests and political interests and screwing its own members and screwing the art form. This is what happens when the communist infiltration has achieved its final form. All right. We see this all over the place now. As soon as you begin to recognize the signs, it really is everywhere. And it's like, oh, wow, they got them, too. Yeah, of course they got them, too. It is literally everywhere. And it is in control of virtually everything. Because too many people have no principles whatsoever. They are easily bought off, easily corrupted, and easily compromised. And that is how we get to where we're at right now. And I cannot wait till all of this is settled and cleaned out because... After that, the American Renaissance begins, and that will be beautiful. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. 
I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!